Come follow us on our journey to get a low-budget DIY feature film from script to screen and beyond. And beyond. No, nobody knows who we are. <laughs> Look at yourselves, realistically, nobody's going to give you that money. Nobody. You don't know who the fuck you are. It's a complete risk. You are unknown. This is our first feature film, something we're going to do together. Uh, you're going to get it warts at all. <laughs> For now, you're just some pair of videos like everyone else. It's all about making something out of nothing. I kind of think we could. Never wait for permission, just start. This is DIY Cinema Cult. Hello, Mark. Aaron. <laughs> how? How? What's going on? What? What's going on with you? Ah, what's going on? <laughs> um, what is going on? Yeah, I can uh, see you. I can see you're in your shed, but yeah. you are well in your shed. I'm you're, well in- you're ensconced in your shed at the moment, right? Uh, yeah, I'm basically isolating in my shed. So slightly confusing. I was uh, filming last week um, down in Cornwall and stuff like yeah. that, and I kind of had this snivelly cold, and I thought, ah. Oh, Hope it's not the, you know, the big old CV-19. The thing about having kids, I'm sure you know, is that you kind of get all these free test kits. So you, you're mm. sort of testing all the time. So actually I tested on my boat before I went down there, all clear. Uh, you know, I, I did have the quite fun experience of going on the sleeper train down to, to Cornwall, which, nice. was, which was very cool. Although, you know, it's slightly bizarre because you kind of wake up at eight o'clock in the morning, you're just in Cornwall. So I did this shoot in Cornwall, came back, and uh, uh, the camera assistant who we worked with down there said, oh, I got pinged today. And I was like, oh, okay, here we go. So I t- did another test, still negative. I was like, okay, yeah. well, fine. Uh, and then I get a text from my other half saying, she's just come down with COVID and you know, she's got a positive result. So I test again and I'm still negative. And so what the heck's going on? Like Superman. Well, yeah, I don't know. What is it? You know, it's not a random thing. Anyway, have, you done, have you done your big fat test? What's the, the... So, yeah, so that's, of course, the next thing you do. So I, I had shoots mm. planned for Tuesday and Wednesday this week, both of which I had to cancel because I think, well, even though I've had negative tests, you know, one after another, I haven't had a PCR, which is the big yeah. fat one. PCR, so, yeah. So, of course, you have to go and do the sort of slightly depressing post-apocalyptic standing outside a big sort of white wedding marquee with loads of depressed looking you know sort of cleaners from from kind of Tottenham and um, uh, kids sort of in their kind of parkers all like looking really sheepish and depressed and me thinking oh my god this is sort of so depressing Uh, and then I had to cancel these two shoots you know not very good on the pocket uh, yeah, and then thankful. I mean, I think I've moved them, but you know, still not so great. Came back and uh, and then spent a couple of nights sleeping in the shed to isolate from my other half and my eldest daughter, who have both got positive. Bloody. Uh, so, is, is this to kind of ensure that you're okay for these shoots that you've postponed and to keep yourself working? I suppose, right? Yeah. So, because of course, you know, I was still negative. And mm. uh, they've come back with a definite positive because they did PCRs, definite positive. And I, until last night, I was still like, well, what, where am I? And, the, and of course, what's happened today is I've got a, a ping from Test and Trace saying I need to um, isolate till Saturday. And then I've got my negative PCR. 
So I'm just in this netherworld of I've actually got another full fat negative result. Okay. But I'm, but I'm still sleeping in the Fuck. studio. Uh, is that is that because you've come you've been rubbing up against people who've also been pinged, so it's a precautionary thing. You've got to you've got to isolate. Yeah, but ap- apparently, uh, apparently, I've just found out, and this is literally just about twenty minutes ago, that uh, that I am, I do have exempt status, uh-huh. so uh, because I've had double jabs. So in theory, yeah. if you've had a negative result, double jabbed, in theory, I'm exempt. But it doesn't really change my life anyway because I've still got to sleep here because the rest of the family are back at the flat, <laughs> and they're all positive. So leggy. Yeah, oh, so basically, no. basically I'm sleeping in the fl- in the studio. You're sleeping in your shed. Yeah, Fucking hell. I mean, is it weird when you wake is it when you wake up in the what has you got you got oh, you do have a sofa there, don't you? So you're crashing on the sofa. Yeah, you? yeah. So got a sofa and you know, got a little duvet. And I mean of course I, I would be sleeping in the flat because obviously the studio is at the bottom of the flat, but we had this huge flood. So uh, the flat itself has got no heating. It's got uh, it's uninhabitable, effectively. Um, and uh, so here I am camping out. <laughs> and it's quite weird because it's basically like you're with the elements, you know. Every yeah. now and again, you hear a fox scampering over the roof or some squirrels or maybe some rats scratching underneath the building. <sighs> It's a little bit creepy. You've gone completely stray. You're yeah. wi- you're a wild man now. You're I'm like a, a mountain bush. man. Yeah, I'm, yeah. Like a, I'm like a mountain man at the end of a garden <laughs> in North London. I'll pop round and you'll be like cooking a little rat over an open fire. Yeah, like, yeah. A well, little it, spit. It felt a little bit like that <laughs> till my Tesco's delivery turned up yesterday. Ah, <laughs> yeah. With my one, my one pot kind of lentil dal and. Uh, yeah and uh, some granola bars so um yeah you know but anyway h- how are you mark how's things how's it going i've just got through my second viewing of get back have you been watching that then the oh Beatles yes Dark? let's all just hang out for about nine hours in the Beatles <laughs> studios it's what i loved it i loved it i really loved it uh, what did you think mark what was your feeling um, second, I, second I, view that's pretty good going even though it's eight hours of just a couple of blokes in a room yeah. Um, it, it gets better with a second viewing. It's really wow. mad. There's the little bits you've missed, little kind of nuances or little throwaway sentences that you kind of skip over when you're watching it first time that you go, oh my God, there's just so much in it. And I think Peter Jackson's done such a great job of pulling out of what apparently was 60 hours of footage. It's amazing. Um, yeah. Just some just some amazing things. And it's some things that are just happening, instances that are happening just casually uh, as we watch them that are kind of quite key moments to the story and the legend of the Beatles, you know, the Alan Klein situation with him coming yeah. in, trying to come in and manage them and, and you know, and, and little seeds that, and what, I say seeds that led to their eventual breakup. What I was surprised about was how joyous and happy they were together oh, and how yeah. actually they were talking a lot about the future and what the Beatles were going to be like in the future and about staying together. So it's almost it works opposed to things that you might have heard, uh, you know, reported about those sessions before. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. It, it it really reminded me of the sort of joy of being in the studio and mm-hmm. being able to sort of laugh your tits off with your mates, uh, yeah. uh, you know, giggling about stuff, but also how hard they worked, you know, as in... Really hard. They really, if something wasn't right, they went over it and over it and over it again. And, and, and I love the way that... It was almost like a, you know, sort of deep learning exercise by mm. all of them. As in, they 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 had the song 
and it was you know ostensibly one person had written the song but mm. then they tried to bend that song into a million different shapes until yeah until it kind of found the place that it should be, you know, as in they would do parody versions of it. They would do versions of it where they sounded like it was Dylan singing it. They would do, it was yeah. like deliberately you know, doing heavy, slow versions, fast kind of banjo versions. Every song was pulled and, and pressed yes. and pitched into different thousands, different directions to kind of test it almost to find yeah. where the end stops of it were. I think that's and, exactly what they were doing. And it kind of looked like they were messing about, but they needed that play with the song, you know, let's yeah. do it. Let's do it in as ventriloquist uh, yeah. performers and do it with I mean, our, without moving of, our mouths. That's amazing. That moment. Yeah. And it's just, just like, you know, they have to go through, like you say, they're going through all of these, they're just bashing it like a little ball, like hitting up against the wall and see what, yeah. you know, something surprising pops out. I love, I love the sort of, uh, you know, intense creative play with the yeah. whole thing as in they really, really commit to just playing as mm. much as they possibly can and to just see and explore all the possible variations and the, the possible kind of manifestations of any specific song. And um, yeah, I mean, what really comes out of it as well is obviously, you know, Paul McCartney was such a creative driving force and he's often yeah. seen as sort of the square one, but actually, although he's obviously probably the most hardworking that comes across. He was a real grafter in those films. It's yeah, incredible. But, you know, fabulously creative. I mean, you know, incredibly creative. And, uh, but also sort of bond, you know, as in yeah, the doubt, the moments of tension are so outweighed by all of the joyous, just fun of being in a band and yeah. knowing each other back to front and understanding how to get the best uh, of each other's creativity. And, you know, there's definitely fun, uh, you know, tense moments, but there's so much joy yeah. and excitement and uh thrill and god it made me want to get back into a studio with a yeah. guitar and a synth and a drum kit <laughs> well i mean i was really surprised at how those tense moments were very few and far between and, mm. and were kind of very small comparative 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 to what i might have heard or read about them before because yeah obviously that very dramatic story of the beatles all falling apart and and, and hating each other was very, you know, was kind of delicious story. And everyone likes a band, a dramatic band breakup. But, you know, the reality of it was, it was, you know, it was, it was much more subtle than that. And, you know, yeah. and even, and what I was found remarkable was that they all came to these sessions. Each of them had their own songs and none of them were precious about them at all. They really came with the spirit of this is my song. How can we, make this better how could we improve this they were all working with each other 100 even to the point where paul mccartney's on the piano going through lyrics with with the road manager and take it you know and taking taking notes from him and he was mm. they were all open to everyone everyone in the studio is is a possible uh, collaborator yeah. and uh, i found that really really kind of inspiring yeah and i mean you know there is tense moments i think when they were in sort of this twickenham studio place it did feel like they were kind of finding their feet a little bit. And there was a few yeah. times where they were like, you know, this isn't really working, is it? Um, yeah. But that was partly just the alien uh, nature of this sort of environment, you know, as in as soon as they got to their own studios, it became like a real, uh, you know, just a proper band bunch of mates kind of smashing out mm. these tunes and stretching them into all these different possible ways. But um, I mean, it struck me as a sort of piece of filmmaking uh, you know, it would only really be possible to have something like this in this era of streaming because mm. uh, we've kind of 
you know, it's not formatted, is it? Because no. the first one is an hour and 50 minutes. The second one is two hours and 40 something. The third one is two hours and <coughs> something. And, it, and it's kind of just interesting that they just decided to, you know, stop at mm. kind of logical places that felt like, oh, that made a complete episode rather than we've got to make it one hour and 45 minutes or yeah. one hour. And, and that is a real leap, you know, away from the televisual structures that you've always got, which is you need your 50 minute uh, short, yeah. you know, documentary or you have your one off one and a half hour one. So, you know, it, it, you realise that there is a real liberation for filmmakers if you have the backing of a big streamer to work outside yeah. of those structures. And obviously, you know, streamers have other um, preferences, if you like. So they like things that are episodic because obviously it's just eyes, it's mm. attention. But uh, these sorts of long form uh, sort of programs are really only available, only become available as a result of of streaming. And um, I mean, yeah. one of, one other notable example, obviously, is um, the uh, the the sort of you know iPlayer managed to create a, an entire series of Adam Curtis documentaries, mm. which are of whatever length they like. You know, they they don't have to be a specific uh, length. You know. Um, and so yeah, I wonder if there's something kind of happening there that's kind of I think quite liberating. Yeah, I think there definitely is. Like like you say, if it was made for TV, maybe you'd want to put something dramatic in at the half hour commercial break, all yeah. those little things that program editors might <clears throat> be inclined to do. Whereas, yeah, on a streaming service, you can literally tell that you know be as true as you possibly can to how it felt in those rooms. You know, it was those Beatles films were actually just quite an immersive experience where yeah. you go, you're in the Twickenham studio, then you move to the Apple recording studio and then you move to the rooftop and you're kind of hanging out there for a couple yeah. of hours. And, you know, you're getting the sense that although you're not there for the whole duration, you know, you're get you're getting a real feel for what all those 60 hours of footage probably felt like. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just, I found it a great experience. I, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. It's been sort of, you know, uh, going through the edit of my uh, project at the moment and um, realising that, in a way, having a uh, a sense of what the overall time length should be is, you know, is a real weird sort of limitation into how you tell the story because it's almost, it's fractal, right? So when yeah. you're telling, particularly when you're telling something that was actually occurred... Um, mm. You you are you're always dealing with well okay I could I could spend half an hour talking about this period in in you know this year or I could spend uh, five minutes doing the same thing yeah and, yeah and um, a little bit like the result of seeing the the small section of the film in Barcelona I was really torn because I thought well in some ways this needs to breathe more. <clears throat> yes and in other ways i maybe need to get cut some of this out so it's a really funny tension and seeing things that have been given their own uh sort of freedom to to kind of be at whatever length works for the eventual project is a is a great uh a great new type of, of you know space to be able to yeah. work in something and, and that I, I would love <laughs> yeah and i think of course you know there is 
like we said, there's lots of editing that's gone on there. But I think, mm. you know, Peter Jackson has done a great job of that. And also he's doing it for an audience that is now more used to taking their um, stories and narratives, their documentaries in long, much longer forms. Yeah. And being able to stop and go when they want to. You know, you can watch the whole eight hours in one go if you want, or you can take it in 20 different bites or what have you. And I think that's a real benefit to filmmakers like him and for films such as that, because... You know, the original Get Back film that was that was made and cut down into an hour or an hour and a half gives a very warped kind of view of what those sessions were like and not a very truthful one. And uh, yeah. yeah, I think you're right. Having that space and that breathing space to kind of live in those rooms and get a real, real truer sense of what it felt like to be there mm. is kind of um, is so vital to, to projects like this. It does help having sort of Disney's uh, endless pockets uh, <clears throat> yeah. and, and a lack of regard to the costs of things like licenses and archive and all of yeah. that kind of thing. Because my, my challenge is always like, well, I'd love my film to be, you know, whatever length it needed to be. But you've yeah. got to pay for every frame that's up there that you didn't make yourself. been kind of exploring one of uh well we're exploring your film a little bit as well we sort of discovered a few issues of, or we've yeah let's, so let's talk about it a little bit oh god so yeah so we we, we started talking about budget didn't we for old man and and you know with, with the impending shoot coming up in march yeah um we had a little chat about that didn't we and it wasn't you know our budget our initial kind of scratch budget that we kind of played around with ended up being pretty close didn't it for mm. um to getting crew up there yeah i think the number we came to was like 10k for like that first block of shooting up in the lakes mm. it also felt like it would spiral beyond that 10k didn't it like yeah. that was us being very optimistic yeah uh, just because there's a logistics involved of we're in a remote location getting people up there you know what kind of modes of transport they're going to be getting it's not very the you know rail connections aren't very good where the location is so those will just kind of impact on costs in terms of transportation, getting people there. Yeah. You know, the result of that chat that we had was that it was going to be 10K, but upwards, I suppose, you know, yeah. a, a very kind of rose, rose tinted glasses view of the shoot might be like 10K. Yeah. And I suppose if it, if it was, uh, if it was a, a, a hard 10K, a mm -hmm. definite 10K, then probably I could have maybe found a way to get that money together, but just knowing that it would have been beyond that would have yeah. put me in real, real trouble. So it was, yeah, I just had to kind of rethink what is going to happen with that and, and what's going to happen to the old man. I mean, I still want to, I still would like to shoot there in March, but whether it's in, first of all, I was thinking maybe it's something different, completely mm -hmm. different, like shoot there. Maybe it's just, it's a really pared down, um, you know a shoot that i do with an actor or two or maybe it is maybe then i was going back to maybe it is old man but a really just reimagined version of of the script you know yep. do we go back to a short script do we go back to something else so yeah it was just kind of chatting it through with you i just suddenly realized yeah going i guess as well you know we were going on the grounds that we have a camera crew that is maybe at least two people maybe three you know two people on sound and I think as well that made me realize that, you know, this is probably going to have to be a real 
if it does happen at all, it'll be a very different, yeah. different version of, you know, maybe of, of what we had in mind at the start. Well, what's yeah. your, what's your thoughts on it? Yeah, I think, um, I think that the, the rod that's been created in some way is also the, the sort of <clears throat> positive thing as in, let's go to an amazing place. Now you always think, well, yeah. location is, uh, 50% really of the sort of issue, you know, as in good location, good cast, point camera at good cast and good location you know yes you need a good camera person etc mm. that does most of the work for you um so there was you know there's a real advantage in finding a brilliant place to shoot but when that place is extremely remote and yeah. challenging to get to uh, and really adds you know a day at least either side for transport and you know, it's not necessarily doable on the trains uh, without quite a lot of ferrying around. You just get into all those logistic costs that mean, you know, you're um, you're spending money before you've even turned over. So mm. um, <clears throat> that I think is really the key issue as in, you know, uh, uh, and then the second key issue was sort of the quantity of days, really. Um, yeah. So, you know, you could do that with half the amount of time and it literally costs you, you know, um, a third less mm. because obviously, you know, the quantity of, of days you're, you're paying, we, you know, and I think you're very right in saying that, you know, you want to make sure that everybody is paid at least a sort of minimum um, mm. because I think it just means people can kind of give it a seriousness in that yeah. they can schedule it in. Um, so even if it's not... Um, full you know commercial industry rates people are up for the journey and it's a yeah. fun fun thing but but they know they're not coming out of it empty pocketed yeah I, th so, I think as well it's that thing like you were saying you know if it was a if it was, if it was a shoot in london and we we're asking people to be on a low wage as well that's more palatable to people than to yeah. say you're on a low rate uh, but I promise it's going to be a lovely project and by the way it's 300 miles away up a mountain that's that's very different than saying yeah. come around to this house and we'll shoot a fun film yeah uh, this weekend so yeah yeah it was things like that they were putting real boundaries in the way and then it obviously caused me mad anxiety because then i was because on the phone to these kind of actors agents and stuff and thinking yeah. you know suddenly i felt not confident in being able to make a comfortable kind of shooting environment for for these people so yeah yeah that was another thing about looking after your actors as well thinking i don't want to put anyone's comfort or, or enjoyment of of the shoot you know in jeopardy be, just because we found this amazing location but it just happens to be incredibly hard to move a bunch of people up to get a like you know get a crew up there i don't know it's trying to find people who fit in with this micro budget vibe of this is how we're going to have to make a film of course this isn't this isn't the way we really want to make a film yeah but uh this is what we've got are you up for it are you into this yeah um and so it's finding those like-minded people and i mean this is the sort of key with the diy project right is that mm. in a way you know nobody is expecting this to be a big money spinner everybody has to sort of be up for it we'll find the right people i'm sure it's just about well, it's always this juggle between what you have financially, how much time you have to do it, and your kind of ambition level. You know, it's the magic yeah. triangle. Is in let's be less ambitious with the right people, with the money we have, or you go more ambitious, more money, but you you have to 
pool your choices or yeah. there's always a push and pull between that sort of magic triangle. Yeah. And I had to remind myself as well that old man was always going to be like a test piece. It was, ne- yeah. it was, it was always meant to be like a kind of um, a tryout before we go into something like maybe routine or, or yeah. another film. So, and, and something that will help us maybe get a bit of funding from some kind of body or other. Uh, but I've been looking into things like, you know, um, I found a great sound recordist from Manchester who would come in and do sound recording yeah. uh, th- that week if I needed him. So it, it, even if it was like a really in lo-fi thing where I'm self-shooting or I have one cam- uh, camera person, we have a sound recordist coming in from Manchester and we can get the two actors there. It might be a very scaled down, uh, you know, you know, lo-fi kind of low-key mm-hmm. shoot. So I'm just kind of just trying to reimagine, reinvent it in my mind, and see if we can make something work for for those, for that shoot, for those shoot dates still. Yeah, it's it's uh, the the bitter pill that we have to swallow sometimes, isn't it? And yeah, realizing what the actual. Uh, I I love um, the William Burroughs uh, phrase, the naked lunch, obviously from the book. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, I sort of seen the book cover for many years. Never quite had the guts to sort of read the whole thing. And mm. then you sort of started reading it and realised what Naked Lunch is. And it's the the moment where you realise what it actually is on the end of your fork. <laughs> 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 and you go, you know, if you're obviously, if you're a meter, you go, this is a, the, the leg of an animal that's been killed and yeah. burned and put and some sauce on it. And now it's going. So the Naked Lunch is like the cold, hard truth of something all of a sudden you know that yeah. weird moment of of clarity so yeah that we we do occasionally have to sort of eat the bitter pill and realize what it is in front of us that we're actually yeah and sometimes you get need to go through that to then reinvent or reimagine that thing and so it does finally happen but just in a very very different way than you maybe proposed yeah. or had in your mind at the start and it will be the right way you know and at the start you were maybe going down the wrong road. And so it is just that having that process of going through it. Cause I guess at the start I was thinking, well, if I just book this location for a couple of months down the road, yeah. I can just will this into happening and just kind of, it'll all just manifest. Yeah. And, and that hasn't happened in the way I imagined it, but it will happen in the way that is right for the film. You don't have you don't have a drink there, do you? You're in your shed and you've, you're, no. you've bought short with no booze. Well, I'm um, you know I feel because, very sorry for you. I'm well, worried about you, Aaron. I'm worried you're ba- about you. You're basically drinking on your own, so you know <laughs> I feel worried for you. You know, <laughs> yeah, this is true. I've let the sort of uh, the gin sort of drinking tradition kind of uh, fall by the wayside a little bit, partly because. I, in theory, thought I might have COVID yesterday, so oh, I'm not yeah. exactly I'm not exactly stacking the shelves with um, booze at the moment. And uh, uh, but maybe I should celebrate the fact that I found out that I haven't got it. Um, but also <laughs> because actually we we don't live here anymore. I you know I the studio is where I come to work every day, not to drink, you know. Um, and the flat, which is uh, you know 20 meters up there is just full of boxes and it's empty and there's no heating and no shopping there so so uh, and no gin sadly um although i did strangely find the bottle of nolly pratt 
from all those years ago. <laughs> and from I the almost very start, the very from the start. very start, which was getting on for two years ago now, I think, or maybe even longer. Um, and it was a strange feeling of slight feeling of sort of sadness of like, oh. oh. It'll just happen in a different, strange way than maybe I, I expected at first. We haven't even said to the listeners that it was a se- it was still going to be like a web series right up until yeah. a couple of weeks ago, when uh, uh, yeah nobody knows this. So so we, it was basically a web series where I was being all altruistic about the thing, going we're just going to give it away for free. Yeah, comedy and drama for everyone for free. <laughs> uh, and then the more it looked like we were going to have to spend thousands and thousands on getting it made, Aaron was like, "Well, why are we giving this away for free? Maybe we should have something that we could possibly sell or stream somewhere in order to make the budget back at least." Yeah. It became a feature film very quickly. So maybe it will transform back into some kind of short or series or something, or maybe it'll say a feature film. I don't know, but I'll tell you what's happened though recently. What And it this happens a lot with indie filmmaking. It's that you get so, in, your, your, your limitations seem so many uh, in terms of budget and, you know, equipment you can get and, and actors you have access to or locations you can be in that you are worrying so much about all these limitations because um, you're doing things, you're, you're producing as well as writing, as well as directing, and you're doing lots of people's roles all at once, is that you kind of lose sight in the, the what you love about the story mm. and the characters. And I've been trying to really focus on that again recently and go, no, what is it? What actually is it I'm, I'm making? You know, it is, yes, it is trying to get a bunch of people up to the Lake District for a week in March, but also there's a story there which we're trying to tell and I can't, I don't want all the, the logistics to get in the way of what we're actually trying to do. Yeah. Um, so I've been trying to refocus myself back on that. You are listening to the debut feature film podcast. This is DIY Cinema Cult. So listeners, you probably, you, if you haven't seen already, Mark's made a beautiful little film which is um, currently given away for free. So given away for free. For free! For free! On the internet! On the internet. For free. You, uh, YouTube, and uh, it's a beautiful little documentary. Um, and you, you've you've stayed true to the DIY concepts in, in that, in that it was something that you had already, which was yeah. these, these incredible letters, which are from your grandparents to each other during the war. And... Yeah you decided to kind of explore your connection to those letters in some way and also your your dad's connection to those letters and what the story is within those letters. When I started, I had no idea what the, was going to be in the suitcase. Yeah. Like my, my grandma, like I say in the film, 
very dramatically said she wanted the suitcase burnt. Yeah, uh, which could have could have meant anything. Maybe she was maybe she was a spy. Yeah. Maybe uh, you know you just don't know. And it turned out to be something much much less dramatic and much more everyday and normal. Which was that she just felt a bit embarrassed and she felt that nobody need to be bothered by all the stuff that was in the letters because they were just love letters yeah. uh, between her and my granddad. And um, and I, I read them all. There was nearly a thousand of them. And it took me years because I didn't do it all in one go. I, I stopped mm. and started. And But for the last, you know, in lockdown, I suppose, I picked up again and, and really wanted to get the film finished. And it was up until maybe a couple of weeks ago, I, I finished, finally finished the letters. And it was, a, you know, like we're saying about immersive experiences, it was, it's kind of like this incredible experience of just re-hearing re my grandparents' words in my head again, mm. uh, their voices in my head again. And just reading about that time, the forties an incredible detail for them. Mm, you know, mm. they were just right. You know, they were almost writing every day. So they would just would write anything, you know, about work, about the people in met, people in the family trips they went on. And so you were getting these gorgeous little details, little insights into life in 1940s from the clothing to the mannerisms, to the, the vernacular, how people spoke, and it was just this wealth of, I mean, it's an incredible research uh, mm. uh, uh, thing to do because it was, you know, I've, I've, I feel like I've really lived through that this six years in the 40s, um, you know, incrementally and in really kind of fine detail. I mean, it's beautifully made and you really get a sort of sense of the sort of uh, love between the two of them, a sort of relationship that was, was um, in a way, so kind of new as in they, they, mm. they were... They were together and then he went off to the war quite quickly. And yeah. um, uh, so it's sort of an amazing how, uh, you know, how much they sort of stuck with each other. And obviously something was powerful enough to sort of transcend these barriers, you know. Yeah. Um, but I think um, what what uh, you've done really well is give a sort of both a sort of sense of sort of place, uh, you know, for the whole thing. And you really, you really do feel... Uh, kind of immersed in their world even mm. though what we see a lot of the time is is very simple it's pictures of the the um pictures of the letters it's mm. uh some photography and also your granddad's amazing drawings which are just incredible yeah. we're well, suddenly they... i'm getting i'm getting where your skills have kind of <laughs> which were lovely things to find because they've just been folded up in a suitcase for god knows you know 80 years and it's just when you open them up, they're just so colorful. These beautiful mm. little paintings he used to do to show my grandmother, like the, the, the women's headdresses in, in that region of India mm, that he was in amazing. currently. And, and um, yeah, that, I'm, I'm at certain points I was going to do things like I was going to make an animation out of them. I yeah. was going to kind of bring them to life in some way. I was playing with the idea of doing recreations of my grandfather and my grandmother in period dresses with actors and I had all these ideas of how I was going to represent the letters and what was in them. But in the mm. end, all of those felt kind of fussy and gimmicky in a way that my grandparents weren't. Like, I don't think they would have really got or appreciated that. Whereas just having the texture of the letters themselves and yeah. of, of the way the words looked on the paper and the handwriting, just sticking purely with that. Um uh, I, I that's, that's the way I went in the end, and it, and, it, and it kind of works for you know. So it's, it's a short documentary; it's like a sixteen or seven, yeah. uh, eighteen minute doc. But um, so it, it it was it was able to sustain that length and not be not get too much too boring. But um, 
yeah, it was, uh, yeah, I just thought in the end, just go with, because I just love the, the leather, the old dirty leather of the suitcase, the texture of the paper. There's all these lovely textures. I just, I just thought, let's have that as the film. Let's, let's have that as, a, as the look of the film. Yeah. No, it uh, transports you. And I think, um, I mean, it's always a challenge to tell a story without really any, I mean, particularly historical. I mean, I'm discovering this uh, in my film as well to tell a story that uh, there isn't really any material to show the things that you're hearing about. Yeah. So, um, so in a way, you kind of took a slightly different approach in that it was sort of about your relationship to the letters as much as what's included yeah. in the letters. Um, but it's, it is a challenge. And, you know, um, with with my film at the moment, I'm, uh, you know, there are certain events that happen that are really dramatic, you know, mm. real drama occurs in them. But there's not a single photo, still image of, you know, video footage uh, or even uh, even audio recording. There's literally nothing there. So uh, and, you know, with unlimited budget, you could go into all kinds of um, interesting ways to do things like animation and, um, you know, recreation and all these things that, that you can do. But with a very restricted budget, you have to find a creative way through and yeah. you have to still conjure up the mood of that story that you're keen to tell without the trappings or the the um, the kind of, uh, you know, the, the, the inventory of, of different filmmaking tools that you would potentially yeah. like. You've got to be inventive. You've got to be creative. Yeah, there was one part in in the my film where I, I mentioned <clears throat> I'm kind of talking about you know the you know the war progressed so that now you know you know air raids on Britain were a regular thing, and Bristol, Bristol and Liverpool, where that where they were both situated at the start of the war. Um, my grandma was in Bristol on you know being trained and and kind of inducted into the army, and my grandmother was in Liverpool, and and they were they were two places you know outside of London they were one of they were two of the biggest places that were hit by you know yeah air, G- German airage yeah the two big kind of seaports and um. And and in in that section, I was looking for for archive of mm. you know Bristol Dock and and the Liverpool docks, and I kind of found something that was kind of around the forties, and it was kind of you know close enough to maybe cut in. Yeah. And I was really toying with you know just just getting it in and buying it for a couple you know a couple of seconds worth of it, um, but at the same time it wasn't it, um it was it, it was close but not quite what i kind of wanted to show i couldn't really find the, the shots i wanted they were all they were authentic but they weren't kind of right where i wanted them to be so in the yeah. end i decided not to go with it and just go with the letters which were as authentic as you could get so um i didn't think it i didn't think it would work at first i thought i needed some archive in there for that section but i ended up with just an, another kind of track across the letters and it just seemed to just seemed to work with my words underneath yeah. so oh it's it's lovely yeah so good one to it. So tell us, tell us the name so people can look it up on the interwebs. So it's called Even After Death, My Darling, and it's on YouTube. If you look up Mark Hardman on YouTube or just type in Even After Death, My Darling, it'll probably come up. Um, but I think it's also posted on the um, DIY Cinema Cult Facebook page as well, I believe. Oh, I the, best, on there. the best Facebook group in the whole of the internet. Yeah, so get on down there and have a look uh, but it'll be on there somewhere and you, you've ago. you've been posting some fun stuff recently of sort of almost reminders of 
10k films uh over the yeah. past kind of few weeks or so well i've just been trying to inspire myself and kind of go well you know is it and quite rightly a lot of people have said you know the 10k films that i've posted from maybe 20 30 years ago aren't take aren't necessarily 10k film examples of today <laughs> but there's a couple there that are closer you know and we've got like um you know from the from the late 90s and early noughties and stuff and mm. um but um yeah it's uh yeah just kind of going through that kind of fishing around for just inspiration of indie features shot on very small budgets of course you know when you go back to like the the 80s and stuff you know in early 90s or late even late 90s you know everyone was shooting their kind of indie no budget features on film still so you know that you had that you know it cost yeah. that you couldn't quite avoid of uh, your processing and everything whereas now yeah i mean there's there's a good spread of different things so yeah bad taste is one um slacker which i adore as a as yes, a great. first film i think what i what i love about slacker is um clearly it was it was richard linklater sort of uh, student film so it sort of did two jobs at the same time it 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 sort of summed up his life in uh, austin texas and the yeah. sort of the kind of freaky characters that were around him um and you know it was his fourth year film school film um so he did this brilliant blend of the two but also um it's kind of taps into so many of those richard linkler to sort of uh, story structures in a way that um it all feels kind of like a dream as in yeah. he really you know he's not uh you know a little bit like we we're talking about with the sort of immersive way to do things um he's just kind of going with the flow of of um the particular people that he meets yeah uh, and uh, it's this sort of episodic narrative obviously you're following one group of people and then you follow the people that they meet and then you follow the people that they meet and so there's this great feeling of sort of flow between different stories and each one of them is almost like a little short story in itself some mm. of them very funny some of them sort of surreal some of them nothing really happens um and uh, it's sort of a great uh structure for something because although it it, uh, it doesn't adhere to your standard one act two act three act uh story structure it's still really satisfying you know there's still a sense yeah. of of kind of like you're going somewhere because the journey is sort of so built into it and uh, it's obviously the name slacker so it's almost like about aimless lack of focus you know not yeah. have not really having anywhere to go not kind of uh, no real drama happening in your life you know or yeah. the drama that happens is quite humdrum you know so it's a great uh combination of the sort of story about the film the film itself the the sort of subjects uh, you know are the people that he was surrounded with and then it tying so neatly into the the kind of indie philosophy of uh, you know just go and do it in the street with my mates you know yeah exactly fabulous there's one film I haven't posted up on there yet, which, which is called For Lovers Only. Have you heard about that? No, I don't by know the, one. By the Polish brothers, these two guys. Oh, and yeah. um, they, I mean, I think that, I mean, they got to be lying here, but it was reportedly made for no money. Mm. Um, and they had like a, they had an apartment in Paris that they'd rented. They were going to go on holiday there and they decided just to make a film instead. And they got, um, I think they shot on just, you know, kind of s small cameras that they owned. 
Uh, they shot in black and white in Paris and they got an actor friend and another friend who had quite a good Instagram following. So she was like the actress in the film. And um, I haven't seen it, but I'm really, really intrigued because it was ma- made for supposedly just enough to pay for flights to Paris and, you know, pizzas and food when they were there. But it looks great. The shots that I've seen mm. are amazing. It's called For Lovers, for lovers Only. So I'm going to try and seek that out and see what Yeah. Well, I think... Like. Again, they've kind of tapped into the the DIY idea of of well, what's the place? Well, it's just a place we've got, mm. um, and a little bit like you know, you got you had those letters, and so this is mm. something you have. Well, there's a story there. Let's let's tell that story, and you know, in some ways, with um, the old man, you've kind of we've 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 skipped a little bit of those principles in some way, and that we yeah, you're going for something that is is outside of what you have. Mm. Um, uh, there's still certainly ways to 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 make that happen, and you know mm. there's all there's always obstacles in making a film. You know it's it's filled with with obstacles. That is effectively the process, constant problem solving, whether it's creative or production yeah. problem solving. But um, certainly the kind of this is what I have. Let's do it with that to start with. Is a is a is an indie way to do it because obviously otherwise everything is an item and a budget. And all those yeah, things, yeah. everything has to be paid for, and you know nothing is ever affordable. <laughs> but going, and going back to those like kind of DIY ethics and stuff, and mm. those brothers, the Polish brothers, they, they they've written a book which I wanted. I, I've posted on the Facebook page. Let me see, get it up and see what the uh, name of it was again. Um, they've posted that they've made that they wrote this book a couple of years ago that I have, uh, I've bought online, so it should be arriving pretty soon, but I was really mm-hmm. intrigued by it. And it is called The Declaration of Independent Filmmaking. Mm. So I guess it's, it's you know, the, the tagline is An Insider's Guide to Making Movies Outside of Hollywood. So I think that, you know, as oh. they're, they're like a brother, you know, a couple of brothers, they're a bit like the Duplasses or the, I'm trying to think of the other, I'm trying, trying to think of the other ones. <laughs> Jude's just burst into the room. Hey, there hey. he is. Hey, Jude, come, Jude. Jude, come and say hello. Come and say hello, Jude. Come and say hello. It's your scary Uncle Aaron floating in a in a shed. No. Say yes. Yes. Yeah. Say oh. num nums. Yes. Oh, say, what else can you say? Wee wees. Wee wees. Yeah. Oh, that's a good word. Wee wee. Oh, Anything else you want to say? Bye bye, Dada. Say bye bye. <laughs> I'm coming. I'm coming in a minute. I won't be long. I'm going to come in in a sec. Ah, <laughs> oh, he looks go. great. He's got he's got my haircut when I was two and a half. Yeah, <laughs> he's got a real kind of seventies. I had one of those as well. Little yeah. Kind of bob. Is is that just all kids from the seventies? All had that little kind of little whoop. Uh, yeah, or, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just suck a nice. Just cut the fringe. Cut the fringe. And uh, let the rest go. Yeah, that's yeah. Pretty, pretty much it. <laughs> So I guess, mate, next episode will be our Christmas special. I think so, yes. So we'll have to get the mince pies out and get a little drinky for a, a park yeah. bench or two. The, the mince pies and the miniatures went down well last time, didn't they? Yeah, maybe we should get hold. We should, let's get hold of some of those. I'll get some as well. We a can, little, um, 
So, because I like the lucky dip nature of the miniatures. That was, like, yes. I was like, oh, what's this one? Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Bilberry flavored, uh, distilled sort of uh, London gin. Okay, like it. Yeah. Oh, tangerine gin. There was like all these kind of weird kind of yeah. flavors. Yeah. I know. And by the end of it, we were just talking about kind of tramps and sort of uh, bins. <laughs> Ma- magical tramps. It was magical, magical Christmas tramps. tramps. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's let's do it all again. Will it be a, like a? It'll be an it'll be a Perineum special, we'll do, won't it? We'll so do be, a Perineum, yeah. The sort of bit between the Christmas and New Year is always a good one. So reason. that will be post my Christmas cry. So I can let I can let you know what I uh, I cried at this year because I always yeah. have my Boxing Day cry. It just seems to be a traditional thing I have. Boxing I Day cry, yeah, very good. Um, <laughs> and we're also weirdly house sitting, uh, and yeah, uh, we're house sitting between uh, Christmas and New Year. Um, this is all to do with oh well. so you're moving to a different house yeah 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 so we're actually friend, so a friend of friend of ours are going away on christmas day and they're we're house sitting their lovely house uh and that means we're looking after chickens fucking hell wow so maybe you could bring jude over to look after have a look oh, at the chickens. he would love that yeah he would love that yeah so Bloody. maybe a boxing day cry uh yeah. and he could come and over bring jude over to look at the chickens <laughs> And then we'll go for our little uh, magical perineum stroll. Who knows? By the time we look at the news again, it could be back to, um, you know, uh, not being able to leave our houses. So um, it's all changing. Uh, Very scary. But but this time it sounds like, you know, if you have a Christmas party in the centre of town, you know, and uh, somewhere like number 10. If you live on Downing Street, I mean, fucking hell, party central. You can just do what you fucking want, can't you? So, um, so there we go. You know, <laughs> I think just you know, go to the off license, get a couple of cans, maybe a bottle of rum. Yeah, walk around with the carrier bag, everything jingling, and just keep an ear out round number ten. Just listen for the music. Yeah, yeah, totally. And then just one of those buildings around there will have something on. Just give a little knock on the door yeah, and just say, just say, Dave invited you. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe yeah. Tarquin. I don't know. Maybe it should be a <laughs> Piers. I think Piers or Tarquin invited me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Totally. So sounds like a way to gate crash this this this, this Christmas and New Year. Uh, good stuff. All right, Bye, mate. mate. Love you. Love you, listeners. Love you, listeners. Nice one, mate. I'll see you later, and see you later, listeners. Merry Christmas, listeners. Merry Christmas. Bye bye. See you in the perineum. Jingle bells. on twitter at diy cinema cult or on instagram we are diy underscore cinema underscore cult seek out the diy cinema cult group on facebook or why not email us at diy cinema cult at gmail.com